All right, what is up, church? I hope that you are all doing good today. I'm not gonna lie to you, I am fired up. I was fired up at the 9.30, and Lord willing, I'm gonna be fired up again uh, today as uh, we continue our Christianity 101 series. This past week, we celebrated my youngest daughter, Amelia Grace's fifth birthday, and it was awesome, it was a good time. Yeah, it was cool, it was cool. And I don't know how it works in your family. In my family, I have a house full of girls and I have discovered that with them, birthdays are not just celebrated on one day, but they try to stretch it out as far as humanly possible. And okay, all right, y'all clap for weird things, but that's okay, that's cool. And so my youngest uh, celebrated for the entire week. And so I guess that was great for her. It was really bad for my wallet, but it's all good. And, 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 you know, and she was celebrated. And even though hers was a week, it still cannot compare to the entire month that my wife Rachel gets when her birthday rolls around. And so I only can assume that for my other girls, we'll just keep working until we reach a month for each of them. And so that's apparently how life works. But the one thing that I love the most about the birthdays that we've celebrated in our family this year is the fact that we did none of the birthday parties in our house. And if you've never had a little kid's birthday party in your house, you don't understand how much I wanna shout to the fact that we didn't have any birthday parties in our house. Okay, you can clap for that too, that's fine, okay. It's gonna be an adventure today, that's good. And here's the deal, this is what I've discovered with children's birthday parties, is the celebrating part is awesome. There is nothing greater than seeing your child's face light up as their birth is being celebrated and another year of their lives is being celebrated by their family and friends. But this is what I have found, is although it is fun in the moment to celebrate them, It's not so much fun when the party ends because all of those guests that show up to your house that are so quick to eat everything and do whatever they want, aren't as quick to stay behind and help you clean up the mess after the party is over. Because after the celebration is through, there is a process of putting the house in order. And that means some old things that are now trash have to be thrown away. It means that to make way for some of the new that has now come into the house, some of the old has to be given up. And as I was thinking about this this past week, I started thinking that this really is how salvation is. Salvation is where we celebrate being people being born again and becoming believers that are now followers of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that. If you've ever been to one of our baptism services or you've ever seen one of the stories that we do, we celebrate life change here at Community of Faith. But I realize that while salvation may feel like a party, the process that happens afterwards isn't always as fun. There's something that we go through as believers called sanctification, where we are becoming more and more like Christ where the Holy Spirit who indwells within us begins to work things out of us that should not be there. And so this process of sanctification and discipleship 
doesn't feel like a party. In fact, it can sometimes feel painful and can almost feel like punishment because things that we held on to, things that we thought were true are being flipped over in our minds. And some of the things that we thought were good, all of a sudden, as we begin to study God's word and chase after him, we discover that maybe those things aren't good. And it can feel like pieces of ourselves are being stripped away. And here's the deal, that is a process that doesn't end. But I have good news for you. There is purpose in your process. You may be here today questioning God, why am I going through this? Why am I walking through this? Lord, I made the decision to follow you. I made the decision to give you my life. Why am I going through all of these things? And the truth is that although it may feel painful, although it may feel never ending, not only is there purpose in it, but there is blessings in the process. There is power in the process. And actually, whether you know it or not, as we follow and chase after Jesus, the process is actually proof of our faith and belief in him. And I'm gonna unpack that today in our text. Would you pray for me as I pray for you before we get into God's word? Dear Holy Father, I thank you for every person that is here and joining us online. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint my words to speak what you have for your people today. I thank you that today in worship, we could feel your presence in this place. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. I know that some people may be here today and they may be struggling and questioning, why am I walking through what I'm walking through? But Father, help them to know that everything they walk through in their life, there is purpose to it. There is a purpose in the process. Help us today in Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up with me to the book of John. We're studying through John in our series today, and I'm gonna be looking at chapter two, and I wanna look at the second half of this text. A couple of weeks ago, Marco taught on the first half of this particular passage, and he taught on the miracle where Jesus turned the water into wine. And he showed us that that miracle was a sign of Jesus's abundant grace and what he would do when he died for us on the cross. That he would take something that was old and he would make it brand new. That's what salvation is. It's going from the old to the new. It is conversion. But in our text today, we're gonna see that there is something else that takes place because after conversion, there is a cleansing. And today we're gonna look as Jesus cleanses the temple. And just like with the water into wine, this is a sign for something that Jesus and the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives as we lean on him and chase to become more like him. John chapter two, starting with verse 13, it says this, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in verse 14, in the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging 
money. And in just a moment, Jesus is getting ready to wreck shop in this temple. Listen, what I'm about to tell you may wreck your paradigm and understanding of who Jesus actually is. We love to preach about Jesus as the lamb, but sometimes we miss the fact that he is returning as a lion. We love the idea of Jesus as a prince of peace, not understanding that the Bible tells us he will return with a sword. And while he is forgiving and while he is loving and while he is merciful, he is also God and he is just and he is holy. And he expects that of his people. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene at this celebration in the temple, he sees that things are off. It's amazing if you study this out, that some historians will tell us that thousands and possibly millions of Jews would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That means there was a lot of people and there was a huge crowd that would have came to the temple and had seen what was taking place and they remained silent. And I think even more alarming is not the fact that the people were silent, but the religious leaders, the ones who were keepers of God's house, they too were silent at what was taking place. And here's the first thing that Jesus shows us is that our process begins the moment he shows up. For a lot of people, we think that when we receive Jesus and we choose to follow him, that that's the end of the journey. That's the prize, we've arrived. But the truth is that when we follow Jesus and we receive him, it begins a process and a work within our lives. It's significant in this text that this takes place at Passover. And if you'll remember from the last time that I taught, Passover is the celebration of God's people and the work that he did when he brought them out of bondage in Egypt. Part of that celebration was cleansing of sin. And one of the things that they would do at the Passover is they would eat what was called unleavened bread. And during the time it had one meeting, but but for the purposes of our text today and the reason they were celebrating then, it was a symbol of removing the yeast and all of the impurities from the bread. It was getting rid of all of the sin that was in there as a symbolism of what happens to us, that we are to remove the sin from our lives. And so when Jesus shows up at the Passover, a place that exhibits the work of God and the remembrance of his mercy and his grace, he is now going to show us what the process of cleansing looks like. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 17 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as savior, he is a new creature reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, I like how the Amplified puts it, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. I wanna say that again, because we struggle with that in 2023. The old things, the previous moral, my morality, my understanding of what it means to be spiritual and faithful to God, those things pass away and behold, 
new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. It is the start of a new process. It is the beginning of something new. And it is something that is continual and continues until we die in our lives. I know this because it is something that even as a pastor, I continue to walk through. It seems like every day and every month and every year, God will reveal new ways in which I need to submit more to him and live more like him and be more of who he has called me to be. I'll never forget when I recommitted my life to Jesus and my life was radically changed because literally I went from being in a fraternity and partying like my life depended on it, chasing after every single girl that walked my way. I mean, that was my life. And then I come into relationship with Jesus and everything that I I was okay with and I was permitting in my life, all of a sudden, things were changing rapidly. In fact, in very short order, I'm, I'm recommitting to Jesus, I'm moving, I'm doing all of these things. And then I feel the call of pastoring on my life And before you know it, I have my first church job. And to be honest with you, God was still doing a work in me, which I know makes you question, why on earth did they hire you? I have no idea, but they did. And and so I'm trying to pastor people while I'm still working out things in my own life. And at that time, I was kind of embarrassed by that because I thought, man, I should have it more together. But now I've realized that God uses imperfect people, that God uses us despite whether or not we feel worthy, whether or not we feel good enough, God still chooses to use us. And so I was working in the Bible Belt of Tennessee, okay? I know we have a lot of churches in Texas. This is not the same as the Bible Belt in Tennessee, okay? It's just a different world. And so I'm working at a church that is holiness. If you don't know what that means, um, that means we pretend like we walk on water and that we are you know, perfect. And, 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 and so there's a lot of rules and, and ways that you should live. And so I'm at this church and I had become very close friends with the youth pastor. He was like a big brother to me and, and he was somebody that I could go to for advice and I could lean on. But remember, I'm still going through this process of working out some things that were still pretty recent in my life. And so one day, the youth pastor says to me, he goes, hey, listen, would you you like to come over and hang out with me and my wife? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And he said, well, we'll eat and we'll hang out. And I said, listen, I wanna bring over a movie to watch with you. I just just bought this movie and it's so hilarious and, and I wanna watch it with you. And he said, okay, awesome. And I said, great, well, the movie is called The Hangover. Now listen, if you haven't seen The Hangover, don't take this as an opportunity to go watch it, okay? I'm not endorsing it. I'm not, I'm not in charge of what you do when you leave this church, okay? So I brought this movie over, and for those of you that are unfamiliar with The Hangover, it's not gonna draw you closer to Jesus, okay? That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> you are not gonna end up holier because you watched The Hangover, okay? And I bring over this movie and we're watching it. And I'm thinking nothing about the fact that I am a pastor and I am sitting with another pastor watching a movie called The Hangover, okay? And there's all this stuff that's taking place in it. And I can tell that he and his wife 
are kind of like nervously laughing, like not really laughing, you know, and I'm having to stop and be like, did you not see what just happened? That's hilarious, okay? And listen, it would have been easy for him to turn me into the lead pastor. It would have been easy for him to cast judgment on me. It would have been easy for him to condemn me, but he didn't judge my process based on his progress. And he understood that I was somebody that was still learning and I was still growing in my understanding of who God was and the work that he was trying to do in my life. And so he didn't condemn me. He just kind of lovingly brought me to the side and said, you know, maybe we should watch other things. Like maybe we should spend time watching other movies. You know what I've realized? I can laugh about that now. But I wonder for some of us in this room, if Jesus like showed up at your house and sat down on the couch next to you and said, so what are we watching tonight? I just wonder how many of you would change your binging habits on Netflix. I wonder if when you got into your car this afternoon and Jesus, if he were to just get in the side seat, how many of you might change what you're listening to because the son of God is in the car? It's something that we don't think about, but if we're becoming more and more like Christ, then it means this process of becoming by, uh, more like him means it's going to expose some areas where we're falling short. And I would love to tell you that now I'm in the place where I never screw up and I never mess up and I'm perfect now and I've arrived. But the truth is that God is continuing to work on me. God is continuing to show me things. And so I just wanna encourage somebody who may be here today and maybe you're feeling defeated or you're feeling like you're not good enough or, or man, you just keep messing up and making the same mistakes, that God still loves you. He's still got a plan for you and you just need to lean into what he has for you and he will be the one to begin to work out what shouldn't be in your life. So Jesus shows up at the temple and he sees that it is being turned into a marketplace. So let's look at what it says in verse 15. It says, so he made a whip out of cords. This is fascinating to me. He didn't just like find a whip that had been sitting around. He slowly and methodically is putting a cord of whip together to drive people out of the temple. That means that this was not some flash of anger where Jesus made a bad decision. This was deliberate. Jesus did this on purpose because here's the deal. When you begin to go through the process of becoming more like, like Christ, it will challenge areas in your life of compromise. That as Jesus looks inwardly in your heart, he's going to begin to expose some things that should not be there. So he got this whip of cords and he drove them all out from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and he overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Now, it's important to have context of what is taking place here and why on earth they would allow this compromise to happen. Well, where Jesus sees this activity going on is in the place of the Gentiles. This was the place, not where the Jews who were, who were praying, this was the place where the Gentiles were allowed to be. 
And a lot of what people were doing is they were getting sacrifices. They were buying animals to sacrifice. They were getting temple coins so that they could pay the temple tax. And I'm sure that the religious leaders didn't see anything wrong with this because it was taking place outside of some of the holier places. And yet Jesus had a problem with taking the faith and compartmentalizing it and saying, well, I mean, I don't do that in church. I just do that outside of church. But the truth is that the more that I pursue him, the more it's gonna challenge areas in my heart that don't line up with his word. Here's why this is important for us. The Bible says that you and I are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is showing us here in the physical is actually something that takes place in us because we are the place where the Holy Spirit indwells when we become followers of Jesus Christ. I wanna show you what Paul said when he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Do you not know and understand that you, the church, that's us, are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells permanently in you, collectively and individually. That should give us pause in some of the things that we do and some of the things that we associate ourselves with if we are the place that the spirit of God dwells. And in verse 17, it says, if anyone destroys the temple of God, did it say, if the pastors? No. Did it say, if the church staff? No. Does it say, if the elders and deacons and the key volunteers? No. It says, if anyone destroys the temple of God, corrupting it with false doctrine, with compromise, with things that should not be there. God will destroy the destroyer for the temple of God is holy, sacred, and that is what you are. How different would our lives looked, look if we actually believed this scripture? Now, Paul takes it a step for, uh, further in chapter six, and he says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received as a gift from God and that you are not your own property? This is why when I talk about salvation, I make sure that I tell you we live in submission to God by making him Lord and Savior. If he's just our Savior and not Lord also, it's kind of like he's a get out of jail free card. And some of us think that salvation is God's way of kind of stamping his approval and we're good and then we can live our lives any way that we want to. But when we understand that I live my life according to his word, his will, and his way, it changes everything. It says in verse 20 that you were bought with a price you were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then honor and glorify God with your body. Everything that we do should give glory to God. 
I'm not telling you that as condemnation. I'm telling you that as a means that, to say, if there are areas of compromise in your life, there should be a conviction of the Holy Spirit that pushes you away from those things. Not so that you run away from God, but so that you can be made closer to him. I was thinking about it this way. Some of us always think that compromise means I'm doing all of the wrong things. That like I've become a believer, but I'm still doing this that's wrong and that that's wrong. And sometimes compromise as believers doesn't mean we're doing the wrong thing. Sometimes it's just avoiding doing the things that God has commanded us to do. When I was 10 years old, my father taught me the principle of tithing. He would give me $5 a week as allowance, and then I would tithe 10% on that $5. So at a young age, I understood the principle of tithing. Now, my wife grew up in a very different type of home. She didn't grow up in a pastor's family. She grew up very poor. She grew up in the streets of Boston, and she had a radical conversion later in life. But when we got married and we got together, one of the things that we agreed upon was this, that the tithe belonged to God and that we would be faithful in tithing to him. And I understand that for some people, this is a touchy subject on whether or not we believe that the tithe is meant for the New Testament. And here's all that I can tell you. You can, you can wrestle with it and decide for yourself, but I am living proof and my finances are a living example that when you follow God's word, he will bless your life. And so we, were, we, we got married and, and we had our kids and, and I don't remember if we were in California or St. Louis, but somewhere along the line, our finances just got funny, okay? And, and all of a sudden, it didn't matter how many raises I got and it didn't matter how many bonuses I got. It just seemed like our finances never worked out. And we were sitting in a church service like this and there was a pastor that got up and his message was on tithing. Now, this was odd because he was not the lead pastor of the church. And if you know anything about pastors, we don't oftentimes like to talk about money because everybody gets weird when you talk about money, you know, like, God, I give it all to you except my bank account. You know what I mean? Like, that's how, that's how we get sometimes. And so I'm sitting in this service and he begins to teach on the tithe. And, and I'm almost ashamed to say that, that I had never understood it in this way. And he talked about the fact that, that tithe does not mean 10% when you get around to it. It doesn't mean like whatever you have left over, just give God 10% of that. But if God is first in your life, then that means you give the first 10% to him. That means before you pay your bills, that means before you do anything, the first 10% goes to God. And so I looked at my wife and, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, it was just like he put a highlight on that thought. And, and I said to her, I said, you know, are we tithing? And, and she said, yeah, we're tithing. And I said, okay, but is it coming out first? And we started to have a conversation and she said, well, you know, it's really expensive and, and the kids are expensive and our bills have gotten a lot higher. And so what I try to do is I pay all of the bills and then if there's enough left over, then I give God the tithe. And I thought about that and she showed me the bills and it made sense what she was doing. And I was in agreement that it made sense. But when I prayed about it, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you cannot afford 
not to give God what is his. You are asking him for the blessing, but you are not following the guidelines to receive what he has promised your life. And so we made an intentional choice that when we get paid, the first thing that comes out is our tithe. And I'm telling you that when we began to do that, we began to stop compromising in what God's word actually told us to do. Because some of you would say, well, you were giving the 10%. Right, but I wasn't doing it in the order that God commanded me to do it. And therefore, I was not receiving the blessing of giving to God what was his. And I'm telling you that ever since we made that change, whether we have been broke, whether we have had abundance, God has always taken care of us and our family and our bills. My kids have never been without. We've never went without a meal. Why? Because when we are faithful to what God commands us to do, He will bless our lives. And for some of you today, your problem may not be money, but you may be compromising in other areas of your life, asking God to bless you when you are not living according to his will. For some of you, you come and you consume church, but you've never actually gotten involved and become a part of the church. You know that God has been challenging you to serve and to step in and to be a part of something bigger than yourself. But every week you just say, no, I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. For some of you, you know that God has been challenging you to get into a small group with other believers and you keep putting it off. For some of you, you sat in small groups and you know that God is asking you to go to the next level to actually become a small group leader and you keep putting him off. And here's the deal. God may be nudging you to do some things in your life. God may be asking you to do some things in your life because he's got something greater than you can even see out ahead of you that he wants to do in your life. And I know that when I say things like that, some of you are going, well, there's the sales pitch. That's what they brought us here for because they just need us to do more things. And can I tell you something? I don't get any extra money whether you sign up for something or not. We don't have a staff reward program where it's like, well, if you'll just say that Paul had you sign up for this, he gets a little extra money in his paycheck this week. I want you to get involved in these things because I know that when we give up the compromise and lay it all down and chase after God, even when it's uncomfortable, God will do something powerful in your life. For some of you, you need to be in a small group, not because you need another place to hang out, but because you need some people who will come alongside you and help you walk this thing called Christianity out. Some of you need to serve because you're so much about yourself and your your likes and your Instagram followers and how much money's in your bank account, what your car looks like and what your clothes look like, that you're not understanding that none of this is about you and it's all about giving glory to him. We are called as a church to be worshipers and to live full out for Jesus Christ. So he drives them out of the marketplace and says this, In verse 17, it says, his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. That because of who he is, the passion of what Jesus cares about took over in that moment. Here's what I found is that when we are in the process of becoming like Christ, the closer you get to his heart, the more you will become passionate about the things that God is passionate about. This was righteous anger that welled up in Jesus. 
because his father's house was being mistreated. There was compromise that was taking place in the house of God. I have found that believers are some of the most well-intended people in the world. We wanna love everybody. We wanna accept everybody. We wanna be there for everybody. But the truth is when we attempt to compromise the word of God for the sake of loving others, we are in effect saying, we know more than God. We know better than what God knows. Even though when you become a believer, you're saying, God, your ways are better than my ways. For some of us, we say, well, I mean, I get it. And I know that God is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning, the end, and he is everywhere at all times. But it's 2023 and God, there's just some things you don't understand. And so us in our infinite wisdom, we have decided that we actually know what's best for your house and for your people. But Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 21 in another temple cleansing that happened at the end of his ministry. Jesus said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Do you understand the purpose of why we gather each and every week? It's not so that we can fellowship. It's not so that we can be entertained. It's not so that singles can find each other. It is to give God glory. We come corporately to worship him and to ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in us so that we can go out and reach people that are far from him. But I truly believe that if we are going to see the revival that we keep asking God for, that the work is going to begin in us. And it is it is, it is time for the church to stand up on the things of God and to quit giving territory away to the enemy, but to start saying, if God be for me, then who can be against me and advance the kingdom based on the principles that he teaches. Just as Jesus drove them out of there, the Holy Spirit wants to drive things out of us so that we can get closer to him. I thought about it like this. In my household, when we ask the girls to clean, to them that means picking up one or two things and then everything else is somebody else's fault. We literally must have trolls living in our house, destroying it and then blaming my poor baby girls, okay? That's what's taking place in my house. But my wife has this thing, because she'll put up with it for a time. But like clockwork, once a week, a righteous anger boils up inside of her. And then mama's had enough. Any of y'all lived in a house where mama's had enough of the foolishness and the nonsense and the mess and the excuses that everybody's making? And when Rachel's had enough, nothing is safe. Okay, if you have not experienced this, and if you're a woman and you're like, boy, I would like some of that boldness, come over to my house, you will see it as scary. Okay, I'll forewarn you. You're gonna leave there praying for me. But when she starts to go on this tear, she, she says, listen, there's a difference between cleaning up and deep cleaning this house. And she'll start to uncover every nook and cranny and expose things that were dirty and hidden and things that were overlooked and things that were forgotten and nothing is off limit. And so here's the deal. If you had something that you love that she feels like it has lost its usefulness, it's gone. 
I got a text. This is no joke. I was working out last night and at 10 o'clock at night, I get a text from my daughter and she said, you need to have a conversation with your wife. She is out of control, throwing away all of our stuff. Now what's dumb is her mom can see all of these text messages. And so you can imagine that did not end well for my daughter. But that's how my wife is. When it's time to go, it doesn't matter if you like it, it's gone. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do within us. Some of us are burying some things and hoping that people never find out. And and we've got some hidden sins that we think that nobody knows anything about. And the Holy Spirit doesn't wanna condemn you. He just wants to cleanse you and clean it out so that you can walk in the fullness of who God has created you to be. And it's uncomfortable, it can be painful, but there is a purpose in it. I'm closing with this. Jesus runs them out of the temple and it says this in verse 20. I'm sorry, it says this in verse 18. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build the temple and you're gonna raise it up in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled, what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. These were people that walked with him and watched him perform miracle after miracle. They heard him teach. They did life with him. And yet it was not until he died and then was raised from the dead that they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And in verse 23, it says this, that now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men and he did not need man's testimony about man for he knew what was in a man. What that scripture is telling us is that even though they were applauding for Jesus and oh, this is so wonderful, Jesus would not stay with them because he knew their hearts. And this is what I realized as I read this, that if Jesus, who is the son of God, went through a process that would prove to his closest disciples who he was, then that must mean that our process is proved by who we become and by what we do. If there's a struggle in 2023 with believers and non-believers, it isn't getting people to Jesus. It's what comes next. We like to use this talking point that we're not allowed to judge. And as I was staying up last night, worrying about this message and worried that I didn't have the right things to say and worried that I wasn't gonna be able to bring it together. I had this thought that I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me that observation is not the same as judgment. I wanna say that again. 
observation is not the same as judgment. Because the truth is we are all either taking steps towards Jesus and who he's called us to be, or we are taking steps away from Jesus and who he's called us to be. The Bible says they will know us by our fruits. And whether you realize it or not, all of us are producing fruit, either for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world. And a lot of people like to claim the name of Jesus. And a lot of people like to be called Christians. But if your life doesn't look like his, if you don't talk like him, if you don't act like him, if you don't love like him, if you don't live holy like him, I'm not in a place where I can judge you and say you're not of him. But people are gonna have questions. You know why a lot of people don't believe in this whole Christianity thing? It's not because of this, it's not because of the word. It's because they look at our lives and they go, well, there's just a bunch of hypocrites. They don't believe anything that they're saying. So if they don't believe it, why should I believe it? Our process proves who we are. All of the pain, all of the discomfort, all of the stripping away of things that are not of God is for the purpose of showing the world who he is us through our lives. And listen, I don't know where you're at today. For some of you, you may need to start at the first step, which is making Jesus Lord and Savior of your life which means stepping into relationship with him. I love how Mark says this, living full out for Jesus, full out. You know what cracks me up? I was thinking about this. Uh, on Instagram, you will see a lot of people that will go to Taylor Swift concerts. And I just thought like young people go to Taylor Swift concerts. No, some of y'all grown folk are going <laughs> to Taylor Swift concerts. And people are losing their minds, cheering and screaming, clapping, dancing for a woman singing songs. And then how many of us come into church week after week, arms folded as we sing songs about the one who laid down his life for us. I'm not judging you because I'm in a place where I feel comfortable lifting my hands. But I'm telling you that there should be a process working in your life that draws you closer to him and his heart. And at some point, you're gonna have to take a step of faith and lift those hands in worship and glory to him. The worship leaders can't worship for you. You were made to give God praise. In every aspect of our lives, we are meant to give God praise. Well, we don't wanna make people uncomfortable. Well, I don't see anybody uncomfortable at Astros games. I've been to a game with some of you. You shout like crazy. Might be the communion you're drinking there, I'm not sure. I'm not telling you this to condemn you. I just long to see revival. And I know that it begins in us as the church and the temple and the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Everyone standing on their feet, I'm gonna close. I wanna challenge you, I do this every week. Everybody has a next step. For some of you, 
You know you need prayer for some things that you're dealing with in your life. And listen, the food will be there when you leave. You need to not wait and you need to come and allow those who stand here at the front to pray for you. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come now. All of our pastors and staff that are here, if you'd come to the front, they're here for you. And I know that it can be uncomfortable and that it can feel weird and it can feel like people are judging you, but these are people that wanna walk alongside you. They wanna see you walk into the fullness of who God's called you to be. For some of you, it's just doing the last thing that God told you to do. For some of you, you need to quit walking by the next step area, like it's one of those shoe shine things in the mall, hoping that if you don't make eye contact, they won't pull you to the side. And you need to take a step of faith and say, hey, I'm ready to serve. Some of you need to say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to lead a small group. I'm ready to be a part of a small group. For some of you, you just need a Bible because you have no idea other than what we tell you, what God's word actually said. I can't tell you how many calls I get when people ask me, well, what kind of Bible should I use? Where can I get one? Hey, we're here to help you with that. If you can't afford a Bible, we'll put a Bible in your hands because we long to see you in relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Whatever your next step is, I implore you, I urge you, take that step today. Because the fruit of your life, that process, is proof of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed, let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that is here under the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, I pray that if there are areas where we've compromised, Lord, I pray that you would bring that to their minds right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would help them through it. It's a process. Father, where they have not done what you commanded, Lord, bring that to their minds right now in the name of Jesus. God, help them to be bold and take steps of faith. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill them with your fire, the same fire that I feel every time I preach your word. Fill them that others who are far from you out in our community might be drawn into your presence. Use them, I pray. Bless them, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.